And that puts the vast majority of us in a spot where we underappreciate what we have to give to the world because we think that it always has that our our why has to be greater than us and somebody else's why. And that's absolutely bullshit. What you need to do is you need to authentically live your life and then share how and why you're doing it in order to inspire others to do the same. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Lucky for all of you, we have a bonus episode today, and it's likely to provoke some thought. Hashtag blame Todd, don't blame me. Here we are a week out from the eve of the Margie Gessick 2022, and Todd Paquette has some stuff to say. Deep thoughts by Todd Paquette or maybe Jack Handy, who knows? We will be back with our regularly scheduled programming, as promised, with Scott Lindenberger on Tuesday. Until then, you get Todd whether you like it or not. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to this very special episode with the one and only Todd Paquette. going in hot <laughs> All everything right, you ready. can and will say will be edited at your request <laughs> <laughs> will be held against you unless edited out <laughs> anyhow okay. i always like people you know i can edit stuff and whatnot yeah i got you i got you i think having a good open dialogue is a positive positive thing oh for sure 100 yeah. yeah. percent. i don't i don't lean on much edit, editing unless it's I, I edit mostly for audio quality yeah, it and, makes really, sense. and really to and to make sure that the guest sounds as good as they can. Yeah, you know, because that's really what yeah. this is about. Yeah, all right, bring it on, Margie Gessick. Yeah, let's do a quick intro first. Today we have okay. Todd Paquette. He is the ringleader of Nine Hundred Six Adventure and all of the things that fall under Nine the Nine Hundred Six umbrella. Most notably, the infamous ultra endurance mountain bike race and trail run known as the Margie Gessick, which sells out in record time. With that, where can I do early packet pickup? <laughs> You're going to have to talk to Doug Glenn <laughs> about early packet pickup. <laughs> I'm not even picking up a packet. I just know that seems to be a hot topic on the interweb and getting you fired up. So I figured you'd set the tone straight. So. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say call Doug. Uh, if you give me enough time, I'll look up his phone number and everybody can text Doug and ask him where it is. Just hashtag early packet pickup. Just keep text- texting him that. Exactly. I'm going to find out. I'm I'm looking it up right now. You can continue on here. This will go out just to, just so you know this. I'm shooting at getting this out next Thursday, but I'm also in the UP uh, Thursday, this Thursday through Monday. But my goal oh, is to gonna... have this out next Thursday. So either way, this is going to be out pre-Margie. Excellent. So, are you, you're going to Copper Harbor, right? Yeah, for Trails Fest. Yeah, sweet. 
They're, they sold out a bunch of stuff and they opened up, they just opened up some more spots. I think it was only five spots this morning, but they opened up some more spots in the Enduro. And for oh. the first time ever, they sold out the downhill. So things are looking good. Really? Yeah. It's the first time they've ever sold that out. The downhill. Yeah. They, yeah. Enduro is sold out before, I think. Usually not until like day of or on site. It wasn't it. I mean, I think that that has sort of flipped, right? initially it was you know the hot thing the hot ticket was across country yeah and and that would sell out i believe it might everybody have, yeah. it seemed like everybody yeah, yeah. This, it seemed like when everybody I first started doing it, it early on it was the cross country yeah and now it's sort of shifting not i mean the cross country still seems to be very successful in a large event but there's a lot of enduro riders up there from what i've seen yeah there's yeah and that's just i think across the world that's just becoming the hot thing to do because it's something you can do with your friends and yeah you know, you get to walk up hills. Yeah. Exactly. Which you like to force people to do. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, like, you can do that at Margie, too. What's, <laughs> Margie's Enduro. There's some incredible <laughs> walking uphill opportunities, and there's some credi- incredible descending opportunities at Margie. Yes, there is. So yes, there is. That is, uh, that is for sure. Yep. But to stay on track with what actually brought us together today, mm-hmm. which is a couple episodes ago, you were listening to the Aaron Peterson multi-part interview, and it was yeah. broken up into two parts because it was so long. It was good too. Yeah, Aaron's a great person, and yeah. one of the there is multiple comments that were made, but one of the comments that were made in that interview was that I made the comment of bikes are toys, and I was mm-hmm. you were quick to call me out on that via messenger, and I was quick to backpedal and say you are right because you are right with this and not only for me, but for many others. And I'm guilty of making that comment on multiple occasions. And I don't know if it's because I wanted, I was downplaying the importance of bikes out of shame or guilt, but the, the reality is at least for me, and I know a lot of others, there's a lot of reliance on things like bikes. There's obviously other tools out there as well, but we're going to talk about bikes and, yeah. the, and the things that you do um, and how you've seen it play out in your world. But the reality is, is that that's for me, that's my medicine. Mm-hmm. And I think a I, lot of other yeah. people are there too. And I know I don't go into that. Yeah. I don't think you're alone. I honest to goodness don't. Um, and I, and I want to say um, that I'm appreciative of the fact that when we kind of engage this dialogue in messenger, that you were quick, you know, to, to come to the table so we could talk about it. Because I think most of the time, these topics are dealt with through you know more of that social platform digital text driven environment which i think is really it's not the arena or the venue where you're going to come to conclusions and consensus you know um so this is great i wanted to so on what you said i wanted to give a little more context because i actually wrote down sort of the dialogue between you and uh and aaron that led to the comment so it was you you guys were actually coming out of, I believe, or going into talking about Blame Danny, the short film from Margie Gessick. And you said, you know, it's you're, I'm paraphrasing here, but you said, you know, you're you're going to the Margie, um, you're you're getting ready to go to war with yourself mentally. Um, it's a much lighter version of it because at the end of the day, we're riding bikes. Bikes are toys, right? Let's be honest about it. That's what you said. And then Aaron responded and said, Bikes, you know, he laughed and said, bikes are toys of privilege. Let's be honest. And then you responded and said, exactly. And 
I think that that hit the way it did because, as you noted, you know, I'm the director of the 906 Adventure Team, and we happen to work with a lot of youth across the Midwest right now. And by Midwest, I mean Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. And we have a completely opposite uh, message for kids and families, and that is that bikes are not toys, they're tools. And so it, when it, when I when I heard that soundbite, you know, bikes are toys, it was like, oh man, that that hurts because that's what we are trying to work to provide some context to. I'm not, I don't want to say work against, but you know, you and I talked before about there being all topics have a spectrum, a range from end to end. And I do think that you know, on one end of this equation, that bikes are toys. And they and they should you should be able to go out on your bike just for fun and just enjoy the heck out of it. And then on the other end of it, I think that they have an incredible opportunity in a way that a lot of other quote toys um, do not to really help kids in particular do some self exploration, discover abilities and skills that they didn't realize they had, develop resilience you know, check boxes on small goals that gradually build confidence that then lead to them check or big, checking bigger boxes, uh, which ultimately leads to a sense of accomplishment, confidence, and then freedom to, you know, continue to explore that, that dimension of personal change, right? Yeah. I want to back up one second. Yeah. Go for it. Just, just to add some context to this, I wasn't even out the door that morning that that episode was released when you were messaging me. So it was very quick, just to kind of paint a picture for the audience and the listeners and how important Todd, how much precedent Todd puts on this. Yes. Uh, and there were two reasons or two things from that soundbite that, that triggered it. It was, first of all, again, the, the youth connection, because I realize I look at you and I look at Aaron as mentors, as leaders, as People who kids are going to look to and put stock in what you say. I, genu I genuinely feel that way. I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there that who would love to do what, um, what Aaron does. Uh, th there's a lot of kids who would love to do what you're doing right now, podcasting. So I, I, I think it's always critically important that we are just cognizant of how something we say might be processed by youth. The other reason, and it's still connected to that communication piece, is the word privilege came up. And, you know, I know both of you guys. I got to know Aaron what I would say was, well, at least much better than I previously knew Aaron because we spent, you know, 16 and a half days together while they were following us to film uh, Unforgettable. So, again, I have a lot of respect for you, a lot of respect for Aaron. I kind of got a better sense of what he's all about and really, really appreciate his perspective in a lot of things. And I felt like when he slid that word in after you said bikes are toys, when he's like, yeah, you know, let's be serious. They're, you know, they're toys of privilege or is that what it was? Yes. Was, that, that yeah, is toy, yeah is. toys of privilege. I, I honestly felt like, I, I, I don't know that he necessarily meant that maybe the way it would come off. I, you know, the, the privilege is a word that's obviously that's come up a lot lately in social issues and topics. And it just felt like it kind of made its way in there because as different 
um, things become important, different causes take precedence, they kind of work, the narrative works their way in. And we just start talking about it without even really knowing. It's like, we feel like we have to reference it is almost sort of a checkbox. Like, yep, you're privileged if you have a bike. And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, my thought on that is, and this isn't to oversimplify it, but I think we should, I think all of us, regardless of how privileged you are to what level, I think life is a privilege. Just the fact that you get this opportunity to be here in, in whatever level of success or financial uh, bliss uh, you may live, it's still a hell of an opportunity to end up here, right? And I mean, we don't live in caves anymore. The majority of the population is not living in caves. I don't, you know, I don't see everybody apologizing for that. There is a, an endeavor to make, we're always trying to make things better. You got a thought on that? No, I'm just agreeing okay. with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my fear with that reference was, again, privilege seems to almost immediately be used to invoke guilt and to, to sort of neutralize people from having a voice in certain conversations. And it's concerning to me because I don't, you know, what we never think about, I shouldn't say never, um, I think what we tend to lose sight of in a lot of these very complex social conversations is that all of this stuff does trickle down to our youth. And youth are coming from a position of being much less prepared, much less armed, um, not nearly as ready to understand, comprehend, and sort through these complicated topics as we are. I mean, if I'm being honest, there's a, a good slice of, you know, the, the adult population that also seems to be unable to process this information in a, what I would deem a productive way, meaning it just seems like everybody wants to pick a side. And, you know, when we're constantly picking sides, then we're taking positions. And when there's sides, teams, or positions, then there's always winners and losers. There's always going to be casualties. And in my perspective, also, there's the ability to be, to be successful is success is reduced. We're basically looking at it saying only one side or the other can be successful. And we're each competing for the bigger slice of the pie of success, right? And that just seems to me to be maybe the wrong way to come at it. Yeah, you, so just, that's, you just drove me into the and not or thing again. <laughs> Which we have previously talked about. Yes, I love it. You know, and that is more ands and less ors. You know, it's funny. I was, yes. on a, I was on a phone call yesterday as prep for a future series that's going to come out in late November through this podcast. And I brought up, I have a listener that continues to push on why isn't there a ranking for communities, for like, especially for trail communities? And when I brought this up with the individuals, the three individuals that I was on the call with, they, all three of them agreed, and I agree with them, especially after hearing their perspective, was that the ranking system really creates more division, you know, and it's not about community A being better than community B. How can we bring community A and community B along together? Mm-hmm. 
and it's and it also goes back to the you know the the cliche thing to say which i think is super important which is the rising tide raises all ships yes yeah it's interesting you know that ranking what you just referenced with the ranking system and how you said the the group agreed it's more divisive right mm-hmm. um that that kind of i guess it, it does sort of segue to you know a, a reference to our, our bike program for kids where as you know, um, other people may not, the adventure programs that we run are, okay, first of all, adventure focused. They are um, not, they're not based on head to head competition. We're not racing. We do not run for youth. We do not run a single race. I've had parents suggest that we celebrate the, uh, the end of the adventure season with a big youth race. And I, I just kind of laugh at it because it's like, why would I spend an entire summer or an entire year sort of trying to, you know, teach kids to view life as an adventure and have the whole darn thing culminate with a giant race where everybody gets super anxious and there's winners and losers and a podium like that? I'd have to sit back and ask myself, like, what are we doing here? But the program, um, to your point, and this is why the program has been structured this way is because when you when it becomes head to head competitive when it becomes skill based you know the traditional like group ride format for cyclists is a b c d right and there's when you use the terms a b c d you automatically picture without even having to uh, articulate it certain types of riders certain skill level riders so we've intentionally completely remove that from the program so it's co-ed boys and girls are all together so out of the 500 plus kids that we work with it's boys and girls and the and the most interesting piece that i well what i find interesting is 45 percent of the youth we work with are female and then out of the 300 volunteer leaders we work with 45 percent of them are also female so there's a very, very even division of men and women and boys and girls, which is exceptionally healthy because a healthy community is going to have um, men and women working together, acting as role models for boys and girls to show them how to work together, right? Um, so again, we go back, no, no competitive head-to-head. It's personal competition. We are constantly preaching growth mindset, you know, the power of yet. Maybe you can't do that yet, but you will be able to do it if you keep after it. The the key being you have to keep showing up. If you stop showing up, well, then the power of yet sort of loses its power. But just merely by showing up and putting in that best effort every day, that uh, that progression of time continues to move forward to the moment someday when you will do what you're trying to do. Those are the types of messages you're trying to give the kids. When, when we sit down for, not sit down, when we get together for a ride in all the communities, every week we will focus on a specific bike skill that we want them to learn that day. Uh, coaches are given uh, booklets that they keep in their backpack that they can t- teach or coach from. And then there is a complementary character development skill like resilience or grit or um teamwork or you know, whatever it is but it's always a talking point both on the bike and off the bike skill development um and then collaboration etc that that's the that is really the key i mean going back to what took me down that path what you said with 
um, ranking being divisive. We see this every day, right? We literally see this every day that the more granular that we try to become with rankings, the more granular that we try to become with labeling things and people, the more divided we become. So, it, I mean, it is no secret if you ask me that in a, in a program, a youth program in a nonprofit organization that has intentionally evacuated 99% of the labels that you will come in contact with outside of our programming. The culture is exceptionally healthy, vibrant, and synergistic. Everybody works together. And you have been there because you've been to the Margie. You have, you have felt this community energy. Uh, it's not like we have a secret recipe. It's just that we're choosing to do things very, very differently. And it's yielding very positive results. Yes. And I'm going to throw a curveball at you only because... I think there'll be some people listening that will maybe go to this point or this place mm -hmm. as part of this conversation in their head and say, yeah, but, or mm -hmm. something along those lines. And I'm not a, and you, you're not a, yeah, but person you're a, yeah. Mm -hmm. And person as we mm -hmm. came to in our previous conversation. Right. And that is the statement of competition breeds competition. And I've been there myself and I, I know where I'd like to see this go, but I want to throw this out there just so we can kind of like not make this a one-sided conversation yeah. in terms of like, let's, let's really dive deep on this topic. Yes. So competition breeds competition. That's what you yes. said, right? Yes. Take it a step further. What, why is that good? Because it's out like, so I think a lot of people, especially, and if we take it in the context of like, what I, the example I provided earlier, earlier with the community thing is like, okay, if community yeah. a, cause I've also, this is another thing I'm, I'm guilty of stating. And I mean it in the most positive way. And I say that when I say this, which is, it's like an arms race for trails with between certain communities, mm -hmm. but in the most positive way, because everyone wins. Mm -hmm. Right. But going mm -hmm. back to the community statement with the rankings, it's like, well, community a is doing better than we got to We got to go compete against them so we can be better. Mm -hmm. And I know where I want to see this go, but I'd like to see your tank, your take on competition versus competition or breeds competition. And then I'll, if you don't go where I, where I, where my head is with it, I'll take us there. Yeah. Um, so first of all, we talked about this, I think offline on a phone call. Um, well, and I just brought it up actually earlier in this talk, as far as the spectrum, every topic has, a, has a spectrum, right? So when I talk about our youth program, we're sitting over on what I'd say is the far side toward the adventure, uh, not head to head competitions. We just talked about, it's more about personal competition, you against you. And there's all sorts of features and benefits to that and reasons that it's a positive thing. If now, if we jump over to the other side, I've told you, and I did tell you this last time we talked that, you know, you should be able to construct an argument, not only for your own side, but you should be able to construct a, you know, articulate, concise argument for the other side as well. So. What I see on the competitive side is I think it's competition is a positive because first of all, some people are wired in such a way that that's how their personal development, that's how they're going to grow as a person. They need that tension and that striving. Okay. And I see it in the kids in the program. There's some kids who need it. They need 
they need to be racing you to the line. If they're not racing to the line, they're not really sure what they're doing. <laughs> Whereas some other kids, that's not where they're at. You know, that triggers anxiety and frustration and fear and feelings of not being good enough. So on the competition side, I get that. Um, to your point with trails, you know, if you're ranking trails, if we're if we're taking this at a at a level of trying to make things better, well, let's say Marquette's viewed as a great trail community and lacrosse is looking at us as sort of the benchmark. They're going to look at what we're doing. I've actually done that, by the way, (laughs) in my own head. Well, I I mean, that it makes sense that you would, because if you're, if your endeavor is to make lacrosse a trail destination, you're going to look at who's, who is a trail destination and why are they, what are they doing? That's different. Right. Um, and you're going to try to to either mimic that or you're going to try to you're going to use them as your bar. That's your motivation. That's what gets you up every morning. Would you agree with that? It could be yeah, in certain situations for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, on that side, I see that um, competition is positive in that it it presses and pushes evolution. It presses and pushes improvement. You know, um, everybody gets better because you're always pushing, pushing for more. Now, um, I'll I'll say one last piece because from something that you said last time we talked, and then you can jump in here and kind of share where you were going with this. My my only um, worry with competition, and this is still on the side of being in support of it. My worry with it is, how do you determine when enough is enough? And and that is what seems to be, that's what seems to make competition the unsustainable force that sort of consumes itself. And that is, it's almost like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hard at this. I'm going to compete. We're going to make the XYZ community the best damn trail community in the Midwest or in the country. But as you're doing that, how are you then also diagnostically looking within at the sustainability of it, the impact it might be having within your community, seeing potentially the negative ramifications of your drive to become the best trail community in the, on the planet. And then you like to use the term galaxy in lacrosse. Galaxy. I like it. That's thinking real big, <laughs> real big. So, you know, if you're running diagnostics against becoming the best trail uh, community in the galaxy, you you could then be put into these conundrums or quandaries where you see things happening that aren't positive within the community that may, if, if you're going to adapt to sort of address those, now they're counterintuitive or they go counter to your mission to be the number one trail community in the galaxy. You know, let's say that the resources in the community are becoming overrun and damaged and they're unsustainable. Those are the things that I think once you get deep into becoming the best at something, it's hard. It's hard to stop. That's, that's my take on. Yes. And where I was going to go was actually, it was going to take us two directions, one in a broad direction and one more focused one. The more focused side is through that uh, evil tool era. Some people view as evil. I personally don't view it as evil, but they, they like to call it Strava. Mm. We're both Strava users. Yeah. Right. Yep. And Strava yep. has, you know, this whole thing that they, uh, you know, the, the whole KOM thing, right? Yes. And I remember what, like this quick sidebar. I remember when Strava first came out and a friend of mine showed it to me, this would have been in 2010 or 11, or at least it was new to us. 
And he's like, oh, look, it's got this KOM feature. I'm like, yeah, could you imagine if somebody starts doing this for downhills? <laughs> he, oh, they could never do that. It'll, that'll be a total liability. And look, look what we saw. <laughs> like it's yep. there, like there's segments made out of everything. Anyhow, that was a little side topic, but for me personally, and where I was going to take the competition breeds competition, which is something that you also work into your programs is mm-hmm. KOMs are great, right? You get this trophy case, makes mm-hmm. you feel all warm and fuzzy. What I, per- what I have gone to, especially in more recent years is not the KOM. It's these two wor- uh, two letters. The letter P and the little letter R, which stand for personal records. Yes. And that's where the, and that's, and I'm taking us down mm-hmm. on a more general scale into the self-improvement side of things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I look at competition, breeding competition within myself. How can I become a better version of myself? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's on the bike. Maybe that's interacting with other human beings, whatever, whatever the case is. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know you have a bias. We're going to go, I, I came up with some terms in the last hour, let's say, now that we've been on for about a half hour. So before I, some of them are cheesy, cheesy some of them are, but I think yeah. you'll, you'll like them. But at your, your, you know, your 906 adventure, you know, also does, it really focuses on self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Well, Margie's coming up. So you mentioned Margie, you know, it's, I don't know what, two, three weeks out. and. You can kind of see a little bit, um, and you know, we've 906 and Margie has sort of become known at times for, you know, one-liners or mantras, and there's all sorts of them that exist. The Margie specifically, the one that we used last year that, um, that really seemed to resonate with people. And I think there's a reason that it did because it is focusing, it's helping people focus more on their journey. And what they're trying to accomplish versus where they're landing on the stat sheet or, you know, in the results. And the mantra was finish what you start. So it's a very simple, it's a very simple thought. You signed up. Maybe you weren't sober, but you signed up. (laughs) And when you woke up the next morning, you had started this journey, right? Take it to the end. If you didn't, if you didn't want to do it, why'd you sign up in the, in the beginning? Now I know you get caught up in the excitement that I'm taking it a little bit to the extreme, but once we got to the transfer deadline on August 1st and the folks who, for whatever reason, can't do it this year, now we're left with those who will show up and that mantra still holds true. Finish what you start. That seems very attainable. Don't you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, I said this in a post in Margie this week to the, to the private group, or I think it's actually a public group. I, I basically said, listen, buckles aside, time cutoff aside, impressing your friends aside, show up and finish. You paid for 25 hours. And for a lot of people, it literally will take 20 to 25 hours in order for them to finish. I, I think that if, for a lot of people, if they can just start creating the habit of finishing what they start, seeing it through to the end, even when they're not prepared, when things, when training didn't go the way you had hoped it would go, or you got the training was going great and then you had an injury. So now you're going into the event, not, not 
you know, you were, you were, you thought you were going to go into the event because you were really putting the time in. You thought you were going to go in in the best shape ever, but then shit in August, you know, you, you sprained something, you crashed. Now you're going into September, you know, where you were last year or maybe behind it. And the, all the, the simple answer that, that I would give people is you just have to shift your expectation. Like your expectation was, you know, here I'm, I'm pointing high because your training was great and on track and you thought you were going to get your PR as you pointed out, you know, personal record. Okay. That was your goal for the whole damn year. Get a personal record at Margie Gessick. Well, you were on your way there and then boom, life happened. And now you're not, but there's something to be said in that, in that space of being able to still show up when things didn't go to plan and just maintaining the habit of finishing what you start that is extremely valid. And those are things that we're trying to, you know, share with kids because I think the, the younger you can learn that and the more that that can be reinforced, the better off you're going to be. Yes. There was a, this is not biking related, but this is, this is related toward this idea of not always taking the easy path or the path of least resistance. So when I, when I was still in my corporate experience, the corporate chapter of my life, or should I say several corporate chapters, um, in food service, you know, you're dealing with, uh, independent restaurants, chains, schools, hospitals, uh, C stores. Uh, delis, um, anybody who buys food or, or just anything who's, I guess, in the hospitality industry, even hotels, they're going to buy from us. And when you're, when you're dealing in that environment, in that industry, you're dealing with a lot of people. I mean, I think we had 500 accounts up here in the UP under our umbrella. Um, and it might have been more, but that's a lot of personalities to manage, right? I personally felt like the customers who love you and can't wait for you to come in the door every Monday morning or look forward to seeing you because they've become friends. Those folks are easy to work with and they're easy to please and keep happy. It's the other folks who like to bust balls, who are not easy to deal with, who are going to take you to task if you say you're going to do something because it feels good to make a promise, but then you go two weeks and you haven't delivered, you know, those people are going to call you out. I wanted those customers personally. Uh, if a MA got into a position where one of those people was like, listen, you're done here. Tell your boss to get a new MA in here. I'd go in and work with that customer. Um, just because that's that I'm just wired that way. Like I want the challenge. I don't want the easy way. The easy way to me is boring. And I, and I can just feel that the longer, the more time I spend on the easy path, the, um, the less engaged I am and the less effective I become. I don't think that I'm special. I don't think I'm unique. I think that that's actually at a level just wired into us that we need struggle or challenge to continue to evolve in a productive manner. Those will go right into the terms that I came up with, but before, I want to back up for a comment you made early on when we were talking about Margie Gessick. Yeah. If you signed up or if a person signed up for the Margie Gessick and they weren't sober, they have some serious skill <laughs> to be able to pull off the race within the race. Mm -hmm. 
in typing or whatever their method of getting registered was under the under basically breaking bike registration. Yep. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out. Like not 90 if you seconds. did that and you are not sober, you have skill. Uh, or, you know, and the other thing is some of those people are drinking with their buddy and they don't get in, but then they didn't realize that their buddy registered them. I don't know if you've had that scenario down on lacrosse, but we've had a lot of people end up on the registration list who didn't register themselves. <laughs> it's, it's like a friend who's done Margie who's like, Tom needs to do Margie. So he just goes in and he registers Tom on the night that registration opens. That's awesome. It's, that's it, a, that's a, that's a, that's a real friendship. Yeah. Um, so I, since we're on Margie, um, this, I want to, I want to talk about this. This kind of goes back to that, that whole idea of being able to see both ends of the spectrum and sort of be balanced in your perspective on topics. So as much as I will be the first person to walk into a room and, you know, hold people's feet to the fire and accountable for finishing what they start. Um, and, and, and I do that not because, well, maybe I'm an asshole. It, I mean, the rumor might be true, but it's it the, the intention behind this, the intention behind the mantras and the message and somebody being there to hold you accountable is because I genuinely want to see people succeed. I genuinely, I genuinely want to see people do well. I, I understand at, at a level that I'm not even sure why I understand it, that a lot of people are coming at things from a, a position of just feeling um, unworthy, unable to do certain things. They can't, they can't picture themselves doing it. And if they can't picture themselves doing it, they'll probably never do it. So I think that as an organization, that it's, a, it's paramount that we are constantly advocating and promoting the success and the um, just the 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 ability of the average man and the average woman to do the remarkable, to do the things that you might sit at home and think are just beyond you. But then you look on social media on Margie or Crusher, and you see a dude that looks just like you, um, or a woman who looks just like you, seems to be the same age, or maybe she's 70, and she's out there doing it. And you're like, well, shit. I mean, if she's out there doing it, or at least you should sit there and look at it and be like, well, if she can do it. Why can't I do it? You know, there's no special recipe except showing up every day, right? And I know that you get this. But on the other end of the spectrum, the thing I want to touch on, because we joke about this, and it's important to let people know that, hey, we understand there's also a serious side to this. We recently came up with a T-shirt that's hashtag transfer out. And it's all, it's all around, which I think I'm going to have to send you one, actually. <laughs> yeah, we but talked about that. Yeah, I know. I'm, 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 it's all for fun. I do have complete respect for the fact that you have to remember registration for Margie sells out incredibly fast. You're committing to something that is a year away and things in life, circumstances in life, they change, right? I am not oblivious to that fact. And I'm very actually understanding to the fact that Somebody may have to transfer out, and that may be exactly the right thing for them to do at that moment. And I support it. I also think at some point down the road, you're going to have to come back and finish what you started. But we're not, you know, the thing, 
I think too many people run around looking for things to get uh, mad about or offended by. There is something to be said, and this is this thread runs through our community. And I thank God that there's so many people out there that resonate with this. You have to be able, you have to have a sense of humor. You have to be able to laugh at yourself. You have to be able to, when you're out at the Margie, laugh at the lunacy of some of the stuff we send you through. If you're out on the crusher and you're going through a swamp that's waist deep, you have to be able to laugh at how dumb that is and do it with a smile because i think that those lessons do parlay back to life because you're gonna you know in whatever example life example there is you're gonna find yourself at some point in a situation in your day-to-day life outside of the crusher and margie where it feels like this thing has happened to you um now you can't you you can't even actually blame todd because i had nothing to do with it (laughs) Right. And Danny sure as hell didn't. Yeah, and Danny isn't. He's probably up at the mouth of the here on campus. But you need to have the wherewithal to get through that swamp in your day-to-day life. And I think you can pull from experiences that our events create that force you to get through them. Things that, by the way, you sign up to do voluntarily and actually pay money to do. But you're it's it's like here's I've never said this before, but this is actually the perfect example. It's like Paying to do Margie or paying to do Crusher or even Polar Roll on some years, you know, the year when it's really bad. The Polar it's like Stroll. The Polar Stroll. Yeah. That I, it's almost like I see that as an investment in yourself to your future success because something is going to happen down the road that's going to totally suck that you can't change. And the only way through it is going to be forward. And you're going to hopefully be able to look back from some of these experiences that you've gone through in our events and those moments, what you learned in those moments, what you had to do in those moments to get through it, they're going to help you get through it in that bad thing that happened in life. Well, the way you just said that, and this is, maybe this is a bad example, but the way you just said that is no different than signing up for a conference like a Tony Robbins conference or something along those lines for self-improvement. Mm-hmm. But then I look at it like, yeah, like you're in an audience there. Mm-hmm. You have an audience or you're mm-hmm. actually participating. You're, you're getting the real, real, real reps yes. at the Margie Gessick or the Crusher or the Polar Stroll. If it happens to be a Polar Stroll, yeah. you get how many, however much snow to do exactly what you just said. Yes. That's actually... that. I really like that because, you know, if you go to self-improvement, let's say you read a book, you and I are both, I think, fans of Jocko. We've read his books. You referenced when you talked to Aaron, the video good. Mm -hmm. And the funny little side story in that is I showed that um, video to my oldest son, who's now 18. I showed that to him probably four years ago or three years ago. Uh, That video has been out a while, but he watched it. And when he got done watching it, he was like 13, 14 or whatever at that time, 14 or 15. He looked at me and he said, sounds just like you. Because I'm constantly like, the kids will come to me. I'm sure your kids come to you, you know, and they'll come just exasperate like, oh my God, dad, I can't believe this happened. What am I going to do? Or it just, you know, or cable will come up and be like, Gavin, Gavin took the Xbox away from me. And now I can't do anything. And I'll just look at cable and be like, 
Good. What are you going to do? No, sometimes that leads to physical altercation between the two of them. But <laughs> the, the point is um, to not constantly be trying to um, clear the way for them. Put them in positions where, okay, they've experienced disappointment or they're upset. And now, now figure it out. Get, get past it on your own, right? Yes, for get, sure. Yeah, get through it. What are you going to do? You're going to sit here and continue to be mad? Okay, that's fine. If you want to sulk, go in your room because I don't want to sit and look at it. It's bringing my, bring the vibe down in the living room right now. Yeah. Well, and to stay on the Margie topic and the theme that you guys had for 2021, which is finish what you start, that for me resonated a ton because in 2019, I took my first attempt at the full Margie after two really fun and successful finishes of the half Margie, otherwise known as the kids race. <laughs> and so I, I dropped out of, I dropped out of the Margie in 2019 at the ski area. Cause at that point I knew where we were staying, it was all downhill back to the house and I could get a warm shower. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I actually didn't need a warm shower that year cause it was freaking hot. Cold shower was, was better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I, I don't know if I've ever vocalized this to anybody. The, what I had in my head after quitting that, while you had immediate satisfaction of getting out of the discomfort, mm-hmm. I, I still had that in the back of my head that I know I can do this. I know I can pull this off. Right. Yeah. And then we had 2020, which meant you added that two years to the, have that in my head. And then, you know, in 2021, I came and, and finished the Margie Gessick and I went into it. Yeah, I did. I'm not going to lie. I did have like dreams of, of walking home with one of the few belt buckle, belt buckles that you give out. But at the same time, the overarching goal for that was finish this thing, just finish it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I didn't get a belt buckle, but I did finish it. What was and your it, finish time? Do you remember? It was 14 and change low to mid 14. That's um, a great finish. That's a great time. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and I, I said it, I, I've said it to you before and I've said it to anyone, literally anyone who asks or doesn't ask for advice on the Margie. I give them two pieces of advice. One is don't follow anyone else. Use your GPS, rely on your GPS. Yes, there are arrows. Yes, there are, which are, there's a lot of arrows, but sometimes they're after the turn. but there's also a lot of wrong ways and blamed annies and stuff like that, that will keep you on the course. My point is don't follow other people because we've seen other people go off course and go far off course. And I think last time I told you this, I was a little mixed up with my, with how I, with how I laid this out, which is a friend of mine in 2021, I said he had a hundred miles in when he came into Jackson park the second time, which actually makes almost a lot of sense. But I think mm-hmm. it was actually more like he had a hundred, close to a hundred miles in when he came into Jackson Park the first time. First time. Yeah. Like after I made that statement to you, I thought about that. I'm like, well, that actually does make sense because it's really a 112 mile race. So anyhow, he made a bunch of wrong turns, you know, yeah. so don't follow the herd. Like yep. do it for you. <laughs> and then my other piece of advice is you have to give a ton of respect to those last 15 miles. Like the most respect mm-hmm. you could give anything of that race mm-hmm. happens mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. You know, you brought up uh, not finishing. It was 19, right? Correct. Okay. So I know that nobody, people don't seem to want to fail. 
uh, I think that there's just, you know, a, a cultural, um, well, it's just nobody, I, I guess, yeah, nobody wants to fail. I guess it's pretty well accepted, but I think that people underappreciate the value of failing. Oh yeah. Um, and, and hearing you talk about that made me think of, um, about a month ago, I went out to do the crusher and Kyle, there were like 10 people that went out to do the long crusher on that weekend. Well, Kyle had come up two weeks earlier and did the crusher EX225 with a friend of his. And they got to mile 209, which is Eagle Mine. It was the last checkpoint. They had 30 miles ago with a ton of time left on the clock. Like I think they had 11 or 12 or 13 hours left to finish 30 miles. And Kyle quit. He, he said, I, and, he, and, he, and he did what a lot of people do, okay? He created a narrative. He created a story in his head. And he said, you know what? I got all the checkpoints. I know I can finish this. Now, remember, he didn't. But I know I can finish it. I'm done. And he quit. And he hopped in the car with his wife. He passed out. And they went home. He said he know he hadn't even gotten home yet once he had woke up on the ride home because he's going downstate. And immediate, deep regret and remorse. And he's like, what in the hell did I do? Why did I do that, right? He turned around, came back two weeks later, and he finished it. And he finished it fast. And I've just, I've seen him, you know, posting in the group and some different comments he's made since then. And I can just see how that experience, which had to involve failing, and he had to have a really honest talk with himself about what he did and why he did it. And he had to take that story he had created around it that seemed to make it seem okay. And he had to throw it away. And he had to go back and do it. Like I can see now in him just a very positive um, impact of that experience. And I hope to God he can take and leverage that forward and just continue to have that success snowball. But I think that failing is uh, of utter importance. And we talk about that with uh, the coaches who work with kids in our program. Uh, we are constantly telling them, you know, it has to be obviously you want to, you want to, we don't push kids to do things that are dangerous. We challenge kids to do things that are just beyond their current ability level. We're always very cognizant of where each child's at and then encourage the coaches to try to get them to do things that are just beyond that, just outside their comfort zone. Because, you know, being outside your comfort zone. And again, this is, I am not a teacher. I am not a, uh, I'm not in the educational system. Uh, I'm just, I guess, somebody who understands people and has spent a lot of time with kids. So I understand this at, in a way, I guess I can't explain. I can't look to the wall and point to a certificate that says I was trained to understand this. Um, but that constant tension with being outside your comfort zone is literally what makes kids develop and grow uh, and turn into productive, you know, young adults and then eventually full-fledged adults in societies. And they need it. Well, you and I and the people who are supposed to be role models for them, we need it too for our own continued evolution and self-improvement, but also always going back to the role model piece, we have to do it if we expect the kids to do it. 
I mean, I, I've been in a lot of circles where I, I will see advice being given by people who are talking the talk, but they don't walk the talk. They're not doing it. And at some level, at some point, you just become the, if you're not doing what you tell the kids to do, if you don't embody it, you are, you're just the dude that talks about going to school uphill both ways and your credibility is gone. I mean, that's who you become. So our bar should be as high as we expect the kids to have it so that we have something to substantiate our argument to them why they should be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the topics I like to bring up, especially with uh, guests on the podcast that maybe have more of a business background is I do ask, and I forewarn them usually, but I do ask them about a famous failure, you know, and that, and I tell them, I go, that doesn't mean I would like hit the front page of the newspaper, Mm -hmm. but a point in your life where it really served as a good learning experience that you can share with others. One, well, really, really to model the fact that success doesn't come without failure. I can give you a failure. First thing that came to mind, um, in it probably was 2006. Um, I was separated from Gavin's mom and we moved into separate homes. Gavin was, I don't know, just a couple of years old. He was little. I was a district sales manager at that time in what they called district six, which was here in the UP. And I lived in the UP. So that was convenient. I'm managing a district where I live. Well, we were having success and I was doing a good job. And the VP of sales comes to me and says, district C is in the toilet. I want you to take it on. And I want you to run this district and whip it into shape. And, you know, if I, if I look back at it, um, there was, there was no, nothing within the decision to take that job that indicated that I made it for the right reasons. It was like, there, it was, it was very much driven by ego. They want me, they got something, you know, they got a, a district that's on fire in the dumpster. They want me to fix it. I'm the guy. I'm going to go fix it. Well, newsflash, the district was down in Green Bay and Shano. So I, now I'm going to be traveling because, you know, I told them up front, I'm like, listen, I can't move. So I'm going to have to travel from the UP because I'm here with my boy. Um, so that's what I did. And I made it six months. And I had to sit down with the VP and I had to resign. I said, I, I can't do it. Like I was sucking at it <laughs> because I was too far away. I couldn't spend the time there that, that I had to, that I should have been there. Um, I wasn't a good father because I was still gone a ton. I was gone late. My, my mom was actually helping watch uh, Gavin. She was probably seeing him more than I was. And I had to look at the mirror and say, you know, this is not good for the company. It's not good for your son. And it's not good for you. You suck. You failed. <laughs> so I resigned. And I actually then went to street sales and sold. I don't know. I think I sold for three years and then ended up going back into a sales management position later. Um, and from there, it was all systems go. I learned a ton from that. But it was tough. It's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. When your default setting is that you expect to be successful every day, it can be hard to not be successful, but it's the best thing that could happen to you. 
keeps the fire alive. Yep. And is it truly failure if there's no le- if you learned a, a, a valuable lesson? I don't think it is. That's the thing. I think that we get trapped in the moment, the reality of that, you know, the the failure in the moment or how we feel. Um, I'll be the first to tell you, I tell Dave, my friend, this all the time, and he laughs. Uh, but we both agree, we feel the same way. It's like when I talk about feelings, a lot of the time, um, I've told Dave, I'm like, oh, there goes the, there's our feelings again, that liability, that human liability, our feelings. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have feelings. I, you know, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family. Um, I love a lot of the, a lot of the people in our community. Like I feel deep love for people. Um, I'm also, which might sound funny to say that because at the same time, I'm also not hesitant to stick a foot in somebody's ass when I think they need it. But I think sometimes that's how you show love. I really do. I mean, it's a, you know, again, both ends of that spectrum that we keep talking about, about being able to maintain a healthy tension on topics that have two very different opposing potential views. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, if you're going to talk about loving your family and your kids, is it, is it healthy to never tell them what they need to hear? Is it healthy never to, to kind of get, get up in their grill and get in their business? You know, is it, is it healthy to tell them only what they want to hear? to tell them they're going to, they're the best at everything. And no, that's not healthy. You're not doing them any favors. I put a story up. Did you see what I had shared about Gavin this week and his grandpa's comment about his business? No, I didn't see that, but I did see the other comment you made, which you Um, referenced in the show, but I did not see that one. um, So this is on point with that. So Gavin is 18. He's going into college. His second day of college was today as a freshman. When he got out of high school, um, at the end of spring, going into summer, I helped him set up an LLC. So he's running his own lawn business and he's also managing a couple of properties. And this all sort of came together with, again, the support of some friends of ours and, and people who want to give a young man a shot, right? So he's starting his own business and one of his grandpas, well, my dad, um, told Gavin, he's like, you know, you really, you got your shit together, kid. Like you got your shit together more than most kids. And I wasn't there when this was said, but Gavin came home and shared it with me. And I could tell it's one of those things he was sharing because he wanted affirmation. Like he wanted his dad to say, damn right, man, you've got your shit together more than most kids. But that's not what came. (laughs) He said it. And listen, I'm proud of him. I can't tell you how proud I am of him. I mean, That can, it can actually just make me well up thinking about it. But, and this is where it's hard. I looked at him and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, listen, you know, I love you, right? And he's like, yep. And then he knew something was coming. And I said, listen, grandpa, he shouldn't be telling you that you got your shit together more than other kids because we don't know that. Also, that comment is only being made to serve your ego. You should be focusing. And then the third was, I said, you know, Instead of focusing on what you've done, which that comment is just driven by what you've done, which frankly, you're a month into this. You haven't done much. You've done good for 30 days. Success, you know, I told him like success is not a, it's not a one day long expedition. It's a lifelong expedition. And once you become successful, then you have to prove that, that, that success is sustainable. You can sustain it day after day after day that you can fail. And then you can come back 
and return, you know, and maintain that success even after disappointment and failure and making mistakes. So that was a talk we had. And, you know, and I ended it with him and said, listen, someday you might have, have done this long enough for you to be able to say, I proved my grandpa right. I had my shit together more than a lot of people. And I said, if that day comes, I hope instead of sitting down and celebrating your greatness, that you think back to all of the people who helped get you there and that you then become that person who helps get others there because that is the ultimate expression of success. Yeah. I feel like we should almost end this on that note, but I have other <laughs> topics and I know you have another topic too. That's, but that's really good. I mean, it is really good because you don't, you really don't know what other people have and where they're at no. and, and success is not linear. Success is a marathon, mm-hmm. you know? So the thing, one of the things that I thought of on my way to this interview with you kind of goes back to what you build in 906 and not, maybe not so much, well, you do it with 906 Adventure, but for sure with the Margie and things like the Margie and, and especially the Crusher, which is, this is going to sound super corny and maybe someone else has thought of this. So everybody that's listening, don't laugh. But when you do events like that, you're, you're building the struggle muscle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. Or the yeah. muscle for adversity. And I think, you know, to, in today's world, events like that, almost need to be created because we just live in a world that inherently has a lot more conveniences and a lot more comfort built into it. There's no doubt. I mean, did you have any more on that before? I nope. Okay. So this is, this is again, um, a funny spot where I find myself now because you know, it, it would be easy for me to just take the the do hard things, um, what what some would refer to as like the the male bravado path, and just fucking go all in on doing hard shit, and then talking in a derogatory manner toward anything that isn't hard. Uh, and I again, I think too many people fall on that, and that then takes us into that whole team or side. Um, you know, competitive realm where, you know, I'm alienating certain people who maybe haven't done our events or don't want to. So what I'm going to say is I agree with you 100% events like ours have never been as important as they are today. And I say that because when you look at the majority of events within, let's just say, I'm going to just stick to the cycling world. They're all the same. They're doing this. They're following the same blueprint. Um, there's not much different. The courses are very similar. And the stuff, there's, there's no head games. You know, the rules are, are, are clear. There's podiums. There's age groups. There's more awards than you can shake a stick at. It's all the same playbook. And I'm not saying that that stuff isn't hard. But I can tell you it is not Margie Gessick hard. It is not Crusher hard. It is not Polaroid hard. And it is not hard. It, it's almost like it's an introduction to doing harder things. So if you're doing easy events today uh, or easier events today, if you're doing more traditional events where the gravel truly is <laughs> gravel, um, you know what? If that's where you are in your path, good for you. That's fantastic. If you want to continue to grow, if you want to continue to get outside that comfort zone, just like the five-year-olds we work with, if you stay and you keep riding that perfect gravel and you just keep striving to be first in your age group, that's okay. 
But at a point, you're not evolving anymore. You're not growing anymore. Really, what you're probably doing is just sharing all the trophies you're winning. I mean, I in the there was a group who uh, had talked one time. I was on a, a group call with somebody, and there were a bunch of people talking about events they do. And two people in the group said they would never do the Margie Gessick because they don't think they could finish it. Okay. But earlier in the call, they'd been hanging their hat on how they had a perfect record in their racing career. They'd never quit a race. So I, I said to them, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. So you're not going to do Margie Gessick because you're afraid you'll not finish. But 10 minutes ago, you were advocating for this perfect record of having never quit. So what I'm hearing is you only sign up to do things you know you can finish. And there was no response to that. But isn't it true? So I, I, I hope I'm never going to change what we're doing with the events. They're always going to be ridiculously hard. I truly believe that those experiences change people at their core. I know they've changed me. I know they've changed my 11-year-old. Um, I also think that some of your deepest, most authentic relationships will also come out of having shared those experiences with other people. Because uh, I'll tell you what, I, I could not know you. Let's say we didn't know each other. Um, but let's say we happen to pass each other on the street in lacrosse when I'm visiting for basketball. If I see a Margie Gessick or a Crusher hat on your head, I am going to feel immediately, even though I don't know you, a connection to you. Because what I'm going to know is you probably showed up. Uh, I'm going to ask you too, just to make sure you didn't just like get the hat at goodwill and <laughs> find out that you never did it, just wearing it to walk around looking badass. Um, but I'm going to feel like, there's something about you that I relate to and understand because even though maybe we didn't do the Margie or the Crusher or the Polar Roll together, we know what it is to do them. We know what the struggle is like. We know what it takes to finish it. And I, I could see you and not know you at all and be like, you know what? I, I relate to this guy. Like I get him. And, and there's something probably, I think it just comes back to again, knowing maybe not having struggled with you or gone through it with you, but knowing what you went through. So if you, yeah, if you play that out and I think about it, most strangers, let's say I walk by a stranger on the street who doesn't have any particular 906 AT markings on them. And I see this person, I might pass that person and make a judgment on them because there's nothing about that person that I relate to. There's nothing that draws a commonality between us. I'm just making some snapshot decision on this person based on the moment, right? I mean, isn't that really the plight of, like society right now is because we don't have enough um, relative or relatable uh, things in common, or we haven't struggled together, or maybe we haven't struggled at all. That then what it's we seem to do is we turn in on ourselves and we create struggle amongst ourselves. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, it does for sure. On that topic, do you want to go down the nar the narcissist wormhole? <laughs> <laughs> well, all I'm going to say on that is, uh, you know, cause, he, cause that, you had some stuff to say on that, on the messaging. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, I had shared a post through social media on this topic of narcissism 
And it was prompted by, um, this is a positive thing. People, I think, because I tend to be willing to have discussion across across spectrums and I don't take a lot of positions. You know, I don't come out, I'm not the type that comes out and says, this is the, this is the way the world should be. This is my position on this political topic. And, you know, it's the only thing that matters. Like I, I see sides, I see different arguments and, and uh, layers to things. So I think in that way, I'm privy to a, what a lot of people think because they're willing to share it because they know it's not going to turn into, you know, a verbal World War III. We'll have some discourse and conversation, but I'll only do it in person. Or like this on Zoom, I'll never do it through social media because it's not the medium to try to get to the core of a topic. So a few people are sharing from afar. Again, they're looking at people and and, and sharing with me that they think, you know, all the folks who are involved in these endurance events and sharing their stories and talking about what they're doing, that at the end of the day, they're just a bunch of damn narcissists who, you know, who think that struggling on a bike is is struggle and they should be embarrassed and they should be ashamed of themselves because at the same time that they're talking about this great bike ride they did and how hard it was there are other people in the world who are genuinely legitimately suffering you know and then you know, there's never necessarily a description of at what level or from what but they're somehow categorizing this other suffering that the other people are doing who aren't at the bike events or any event um it's it's greater than the other person's suffering. Like the activity of bicycle racing is frivolous and meaningless and we should all be ashamed of it. So when I, I shared a post on it and it's funny because a person within the community of 906 adventure team came to me, called me. He's like, Hey, he said, you don't need to explain yourself to anybody. He said, don't do that. You don't have to do that. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Explain myself. And he said that post, you know, he said, People don't like what you do. Um, tough shit. <laughs> like, just do what you want to do. And I found that interesting because the post, when I put that out, it actually had nothing to do with me. It was, it was actually more of a protective mechanism toward the community that I'm part of and toward just people in general. Because what I've learned, and I never could have guessed that this was going to happen. Um, it seems like every every step of this journey has just yielded surprise after surprise after surprise is that we've built out a pretty good sized community, not just regionally, but bordering now on nationally. And I'm in connect in connection and contact and talking and messaging and emailing with people on a daily basis who are across the country. And I'm fortunate that they open up or they seek, they, they seek connection with me for some reason when they're struggling in life, when things aren't going well, when, um, I, I mean, I, I don't even want to name any of this stuff, but I mean, it could, it's a wide range of, of life struggle that they're dealing with. And we end up in deep conversations about it. So what I found is, you know, the, the people who are viewing others as narcissists, it's, it's a very knee jerk um, judgment that I feel is coming from that person's own place of pain. Those people who are calling others narcissists, I think that they're experiencing some pain too. Um, they might not be ready to talk about it, or maybe they just don't want to talk about it at all. Um, so I'm quick to re- remember that that person's a person too. And it's like, okay, it's interesting that they would try to paint this other person that they don't know in this negative light. 
there's something that that other person's doing that they're jealous of or is somehow hitting a nerve. So I'm not going to judge that person who's saying this, but I am going to step to the defense of others. And I'm just going to say, there's a lot of people who pursue the activity of endurance events because they're suffering, but they're not going to go out on a social media platform and try to advocate for everybody else to come in and, and rally around whatever life struggle that might be that they're going through, whether it's substance abuse, um, divorce, um, spouse died, child died. Like I, I could give some of the stuff I've heard in the past couple of years that people that happen to people, mind blowing. It just makes me grateful every day that, you know, I don't wake up tomorrow and, and get told by a doctor that I have stage four terminal cancer because I hear it all the time. Um, so that, that's really what I'm saying is like on this narcissist thing, just in general, don't make judgments on people from afar. You know, don't take what, what we're seeing in social media and then draw long drawn out conclusions about the type of person they are, because it's not fair. These people are working through their own shit. It's just that this is how they're doing it, right? Thank God they're not sitting at home, you know, doing drugs or, or, or drinking themselves to death. What would you rather, right? I would rather see them out, even if they're not okay, but they're still out crushing it and working through it. We should, ad we should advocate for that for everybody. Yeah, I've struggled with that personally. I mean, and, and, I, and I truly mean this, like, because I, I do rely on the bike and the bike most specifically on single track and trails mm -hmm. as, as like my form of, of medication. And it's like, is it good that I rely on this? And is, is there some way that I should get, make myself unreliant on this? Is there a way to make myself unreliant on this? You know, and it's, and it, and, but you're right. Like, cause there could be a lot worse things that we could be doing, you know, for that. And I want to end, so there's another comment that you had made in our messaging, and I want to end on, on this with you is, it's okay to do things for you, mm. otherwise known as, as self-care. And mm -hmm. one of the, a common theme that I've preached that I pulled out of a book that I read that came into my life at a really good time, which was Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. And mm -hmm. he made a comment in that book, it's that the intersection of greatness is that intersection of selfish and selfless. You know, and, and it's, it's also like, you have to be selfish to be selfless. And a really good analogy that almost everyone that's flown can relate to is put the mask on yourself first. Yeah. That's you know? interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. McConaughey's book is good, by the way. Yeah. And I hope you did listen to it and not read it. Cause, and if you haven't, you need to, you need to do the audio version. Cause him narrating his own life uh -huh. is pretty freaking incredible. Uh -huh. He doesn't, he have a great analogy in there about humility and being humble. Oh yeah. He's got, a, he's uh, got tons of stuff in there. But yeah. Yes. Because, you know, I think like one of the things in, on, yeah, I don't want to go on a sidetrack, but you brought him up and, you know, he, you're bringing up sort of a counterintuitive view toward, you know, selfish and selfless and, and putting the mask on yourself first, sort of, I'm assuming in the theme that how can you help others if you don't take care of yourself first, right? Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So um, his piece on on being humble and humility is he, he just talked briefly, and I'm paraphrasing this, about 
how, you know, there's this mantra about you got to be humble and, and, you know, don't talk about yourself and, you know, put your eyes down and just do the work and do the grind or whatever it is. Just this, this very um, corporatized idea of the humble and hustle. But he, he said what he learned was, you know, true humility is, is not, not talking about yourself or not, not accepting um, uh, positive feedback or, or this complete surrendering of your ego. He said, you know, humility is about being able to receive a compliment and thank somebody for it and, and really just be able to sort of, you know, I guess, embody it and, and live up to the expectation of what somebody thinks you're great at or some, what, what you do that you do really well. That's like a standard. So it's just a different way of looking at, you know, humility and being humble. But did you have anything else on that piece? Because I actually had, this is, I had one, this kind of came from the conversation you guys were having, right? This is one of the other sound bites that we had talked about, about doing things for yourself. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, um, I wrote down that, um, so you guys were talking about adventurous, right? And it was, again, this is paraphrasing and sort of summarizing. It was like AP was sort of sharing, like, you know, just wasn't really sure what the story was. Um, Didn't really connect with it. And that doesn't surprise me because you have to keep in mind here that the film was paid for by a tourism bureau, right? Which, which he talked about in his interview. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that it's paid for by a tourism bureau tells you that, you know, the intention here is to deliver a product that's going to help create tourism, right? So with that being the point of this endeavor from a, from the financial backing standpoint, you know, I can see where it's like, well, how do these five people fit into this story that ultimately needs to be about the landscape? And the story, and the bottom line is, to be honest, and this is probably what I finally learned. It took two years or a year and a half to learn anything from that trip. People keep asking me, like, well, what did you take from you know doing adventurous? And it's like, you know, I don't know. I can't put it into words, but now I think I finally can. There were two storylines. And one was, as Aaron put it, the, 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 you know, it was a love note or a postcard. It's a love letter to the, to the UP. Yeah. A hundred percent. The, the young boy who grew up, who was born in Iron Mountain, Michigan, and who graduated from Gladstone High School and has spent the majority of his life up here agrees. Love letter to the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. The other story that, you know, we're, we're probably going to have to go tell this story on our own. Is, is here, and this is the exchange that took place. Um, paraphrase. I don't know who said this, but one of you did. People, people did some things because they wanted to, not because they had to. And then somebody responded and said, yeah, they chose to do it. And then the response was, yeah, it's not like they were raising money for cancers, for cancer or kids without bikes, you know? So here's my take on that. First of all, Kind of going back to the whole narcissist comment about how somebody's saying from the outside that there's no deep personal reason why somebody would go do a bike race. That seems to be a sweeping generalization that there was no deeper, deeper reason 
for why we were there, those five people. And I can tell you, because I know all, I know myself and I know the other four people, there were deep personal reasons for being there. And I'm not going to say what they are because you'd have to ask each individual person. That's their story to tell. Um, but there was a deep reason. It's just that it couldn't, you know, it doesn't check the tourism tick boxes, the check boxes. What we have to be reminded of. And I think this is the other place where it's coming from. And this also kind of connects to the privilege comment that we started on in the beginning. It seems like we're living now in a space where you have to always tie what you're doing to some higher purpose or some cause for somebody else um, or, or some brand. Like It seems like everybody wants to be a brand ambassador. And what's being missed in that is that this endurance pursuit and this pursuit of doing things outside your comfort zone and doing things that are hard and learning to finish what, you're, what you start, we have to all remember it's okay to do it for ourselves. Like you said, put, them, put your mask on first. If you're not doing things, first of all, if you're not doing things that supports your mantras, and what you're telling people, if you're not walking the talk, shame on you, right? Shame on you. And if you feel that everything that you do has to be done for somebody else or has to have some higher social meaning to it, we got a problem. Because what that does is it puts everybody who lives in the middle, which is the vast majority of us, which I, where I would put myself, where I would put you, uh, where I would put Aaron. And that puts the vast majority of us in a spot where we underappreciate what we have to give to the world because we think that it always has that our our why has to be greater than us and somebody else's why. And that's absolutely bullshit. What you need to do is you need to authentically live your life and then share how and why you're doing it in order to inspire others to do the same. So that's what Adventurous was intended to do. That's what should be unforgettable about that film. Aside from the Upper Peninsula's beauty and the sheer awesomeness of the landmass, what you should take from that is those are five damn people who are ordinary men and women who are not Rich Roll, who are not David Goggins, who are not Jocko Willink, who have jobs, who have kids, who have spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, full-time fucking jobs. And what we were trying to show everybody that isn't on the polar edge of every topic, you can still do this. You can have this in your life. Yes, there are sacrifices. You know, when I left the corporate world, my income was cut in half. You Sometimes you have to do that. If this is the life you want, that's sometimes you got to do that stuff. But you gotta, you got to know you can do it. You can have the life, whatever life you want, you can have it. That's what we were trying to show people. So there you go. It's like mic drop, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, that's not the intent. It's just, this has been in me for so long. People who ask like, why should people care about you doing adventures? It's like, listen, the people, people who need to see this, they're going to care. And the people who don't need to see this, they're not going to care. I don't give a shit because I know why I did it. And if I add one last piece of that, for anybody who sits and thinks that it was anything other than truly trying to give back to a community of people and to show them 
it's okay to dream and you don't have to have this bullshit trajectory of life that you know the the media is trying to force down our throats all the time we started mark and i did the first adventurous in 2020 he did the pandemic and it was on the tail end of one of the crusher events that we ran through our nonprofit but the whole intent was to give like another two week window where we could keep people occupied uh, away from the craziness that was infiltrating the world and have them watch our dots run around the snowiest October on record in the upper peninsula and laugh at us knowing he and I both knew we might fail. Like we put it out. We're going to go do this thing. Um, we risk failure in front of everybody. And guess what? We did fucking fail because we planned to get to the mouth of the Huron. We didn't make it in 10 days. So that's what led to the, you know, the redo, I'll say, or, or part two, Project Adventures 2.0, was we didn't finish what we started. We said we were going to do X, and we didn't do it. Like, we failed. And then the second time we decided to go back, we wanted to, we wanted to bring in two women and show that men and women, average men and women, could go do this together. And we did. Three of us got to the top of Brockway. Liz got right to Marquette, you know, and she was out with that back injury. And Tori, I think he had a, a leg injury a little earlier on, but everybody went as far as they could go and we did it together. Dream and dream big, finish what you start. Yeah. And I remember the first interview I did with you for this podcast was a week or two before that. Was it really? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Cause it was when I was doing a Mar I was putting a Marquette series together and I had interviewed and we, it was when I was initially, I was trying to line it up to where you could do this in person in person. And I was up for the, the not so Margie Margie weekend. And I got an interview with, uh, Mike Burnett, Danny Hill, and I wanted to throw you into the mix to get your perspective uh, on that. And we ended up doing it remotely. Yeah. I yeah, remember you were us, preparing for that. I remember us talking. So, huh. boy, it's been a while. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. It's good. It's good. That's all I got chief. That's a, that's a good way to end this one, Todd. I really appreciate the fact that you're, you know, we talk about doing like this. I'm going to go back on that intersection of selfish and selfless. And yeah. this like people, people just like project adventurous or whatever it is, Margie Gessick, I don't care. This interview might not resonate with some people, but I can guarantee you there are people that this will resonate with. And I, and I hope, you know, when they're, questioning whether that whether or not they could do something whatever that is that they can find it within them to pull whatever it is off for themselves so they can be better people for everyone around them absolutely 100 percent on that brother so great all right carry on my friend thank you for listening links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes our next episode will feature scott lindenberger the master planner and project manager for the Iron Range Mountain Bike Trail Destination Trail System, aka Tioga Trails, Redhead Bike Park, and Giants Ridge Bike Park. This is a good one that will help tie everything together that you already know about these trail systems. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. 
If you find value for the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.